the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be with you and so much happening. In a few moments, we'll check in with Selena Zito. Selena Zito, the great writer. Go to selenazito.com, find out uh, all her writings there. And go to proamericareport.com to sign up for everything that we are doing here. Great to be with you. It's Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. So much happening, so much happening. Let me remind you how you should watch, how you should view, that's a better word, view what's happening in the battle for America. The battle for America, there is a legal front. You know, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, lawsuits, Supreme Courts, all that. Legal front. The battle front, uh, General Sidney Powell, General Rudy Giuliani on the case there. The information battle front, the propaganda battle front, well, that's a little tougher. That's a little tougher for us. We've got problems. You know, we got right side broadcasting and One America News and Newsmax trying to get the truth out, but we're mostly dominated and inundated by the reality of the uh, of the big boys and big girls at Fox News and uh, CNN, and they just want to move on. They want to move on to talk about, um, you know, this, that, and the other thing. So here's the battlefront for the in- information. Uh, information battlefront is tougher. The third one, though, as I've told you, is the Constitution. The Constitution, that's getting interesting. A week from today, December 8th, is the date under the law. There was a law passed that sort of codified, put into legal statute, what the Constitution laid out uh, on the Electoral College. And, And one of the rules is how you get to the date, December 8th. I think it's the second Tuesday of December after however many weeks. I don't know what the number is. But anyway, that's December 8th, a week from right now and here's the thing every state must give sort of public reckoning to the electors who will then go on to vote in the electoral college on december 14th okay so the reality of um december 8th is each state let's say a state where there's no no question of what happened texas texas set up their rules they said hey whoever gets the most popular votes in our state gets a slate of electors and gets all the electors get sent to the electoral college i forget what that number let's say it's 25 texas went to trump all the trump electors are seated on december 8th uh, texas says hey those are our guys if there is, and, and say, like, so California, same way. California says all of our electors go to Biden. You get the point. If there's a dispute in the state over who the electors are, the slate, then there becomes a question that has to go to the U.S. Congress meeting in joint session on January 6th to take up the question. So, for example, Arizona. Arizona, let's say the legislature comes in a special session, says we saw so much fraud, we cannot believe it. We're not going to seat the Biden electors just because the the secretary of state says there's more popular votes for Biden. We don't believe that because there's so much corruption in Maricopa County. We're going to have a slate for Trump. Now, if there is a conflict 
between the the the, the uh, slates, the electors, then that goes to the U.S. Congress too. My point here is between now and December eighth, the window during which the state legislatures are wise to make their objections known. This is the window. Because on December 8th, if it closes, it's kind of hard to roll it back. Now, there still is one last gasp effort. I'll tell you about that later on. But for now, between now and December 8th, you should be saying to your friends and neighbors, hey, look at all this fraud. What is the problem? This looks systemic. This looks like something that's gone further along than just, oh, a few dead people voted in Detroit. What are we going to do about it? And when you go forward and you say, what are you going to do about it? One of the things that you start to say is, hey, let's either not seat any electors. Let's seat Trump electors over Biden. Let's do something. Here's my point. This week is when there needs to be a battle for the heart and soul of the republic to make it so people have a chance to get to the bottom of the fraud. At this point, I told you, the battlefront for information, the information battlefront, it's tougher and tougher. My wife, who is no fan of the fake news media, called me earlier today and she said, hey, I just saw heard this report and it's that report. You know, at a certain point, she said, you know, more and more, it's just wearing you down. And she's not someone who gets worn down because she knows what the deal is. That's what's happening. So you got to strengthen yourself with the truth. I told yesterday, I said to use get a laundry list, laundry list of fraud, real stuff, not the two dead guys voted because, you know, in Chicago or something, get the get the get the accurate sort of set of who voted. I mean, excuse me, who voted of of fraud, make a list, a laundry list of, of fraud, have that to tell your friends and neighbors, then get out into the information sphere and try to communicate, push it back. And then the next thing I'd say is understand the Constitution. All right. It's breaking, though. And my point here is it's breaking in favor of the people questioning the problem. Does that mean it's going to be overturned? You know, does it mean that we're going to get to the real bottom? I'm not sure. But right now, StopTheSteel.us, which is the group I've worked with, we're sort of partners with that group, it's breaking out everywhere. And there was a kind of uh, there was a kind of uh, rump gathering that happened in the last couple hours in Arlington, Virginia, in a ballroom at the Weston Hotel, where uh, some of the guys, uh, Phil Klein, the former attorney general from uh, from Kansas, he got up there and he said, "Look, this is what we found. We got whistleblowers, all this stuff." There, there are StopTheSteel.us efforts all over the place. There's tools on the website for you to go to StopTheSteel.us. I'm going down to Georgia tomorrow. I'm going down to Georgia because it's going to be a big, big story in Georgia, a big news conference in the afternoon tomorrow in Georgia. You're going to watch for that. There's stuff going Nevada on Friday. There's a case that's going to be taken up and uh, it's it's, um, you know, that's going to be taken up very specifically with first time the actual machines possession of the machines will be uh, in 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 the hands of of the uh, attorneys saying, what the heck happened here? So my point is that there is um, more uh, and more that is happening, and we have to be not patient. Patient's the wrong word. We have to be impatient but smart. Impatient but smart. There's a lot to do, a lot of things to, uh, to push forward because of what we're finding out. 
All right. So be encouraged. Uh, don't be discouraged. Be clear at what's happening. And there's a lot to do. Stop the steel.us. Stop the steel.us. Go there. You can track all these different events that are coming up. But, but December 8th, Tuesday, December 8th, a big date. You got to make your voice heard. You got to let people know. I saw the lieutenant governor of Georgia complaining that Donald Trump is saying, what's the story? You know, I want to, uh, I want to get to the bottom of it. And the lieutenant governor of Georgia is complaining, saying, you're really hurting our brand. You're really hurting our brand when you do this. What's the brand of the people that think it's okay to have an election that the uh, that they can't audit? What's the brand of a party that thinks it's okay for... Uh, you know, 70% of Republicans thought the election was fraudulent. 30% of, 30% of Democrats thought so. What's the brand, Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, that you think is well served to roll over and say, oh, well, let's just move ahead? Because you don't just get sort of a prize at the carnival. It's not one of those, you know, three foot stuffed ducks. This is the control of the executive branch of the United States of America. It's pretty crazy. To think the brand is served by just walking away? I don't know, Mr. Lieutenant Governor of Georgia. You probably just made a huge mistake in terms of your political future. And I, I happen to think you're also wrong. My, my, my sense is you're actually wrong on this. But also, you know, there's just no good reason not to get to the bottom of it. That's the number one thing you should be doing right now is saying to yourself and others, hey, if there's nothing to see here, let's get to the bottom of it. You know, we're going to talk. I think we'll talk tomorrow with John Schlafly. John and Andy Schlafly write the weekly column, the Schlafly Report. The topic is rampant election fraud continues. That's the title. A quick preview. It's not it's not um, it's not a small thing. And by the way, when the guy in Georgia, Lieutenant Governor, says, you know, get over it and stop, you want to say, and Andy and John point this out in their column, you got an election in five weeks for two senators. And you want to say, ah, oh, nothing to see here. Sounds like you want the same system to not work again. That's a mistake. All right. Be strong, everybody. Be strong. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk with Selena Zito, and we also will talk with Vico Bertagli. He's from up in Pennsylvania, and we'll see what he has to say. He's kind of a math guy, kind of a uh, technical guy who's figured out some of what was going on here in these systems. A lot of these whistleblowers are coming forward. Let me say one more thing, and then we'll go to break. The idea that whistleblowers and witnesses are being threatened in America, that's an outrage. We should be angrier about that than almost anything else. That someone that wants to speak the truth is being threatened, that's not America. All right, we got to take a break. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest is Selena Zito. Go to selenazito.com and you'll get an email from her when she writes. And she kind of writes all the time. She writes over at uh, Washington Examiner and the New York Post and periodically the Wall Street Journal. You'll see her um, on uh, CNN sometimes. But And then you'll get reprimanded like I just did because she did send me an email two days ago with one of her new <laughs> columns, which I missed. It went in my email, but I'm kind of busy. I don't know. I'm kind of busy trying to save the election and uh, save the presidency. And uh, But the title of that column is After 31 Years, Moving from a Home is Much More 
more than leaving a structure. And I was telling her, my mother used to say, with a big smile, when I think she moved a couple times, and she said, if, if you remembered what it was like to have a baby or move, if you remember that, you would never do either one again. And so uh, that was her way of saying how hard it was. So first of all, Selena, tell me about this move. What was the, so what precipitated this move? Why did you need to move? Uh, well, I didn't need to move. I actually left the house that I lived in very much, but I had to make a decision between now and dead. Do I want to live in a house that I love or live near my grandchildren? And um, that was in, once I once I phrased it that way, it was like a no brainer. So I moved the county away. I'm still in Western Pennsylvania, um, but I now live four blocks from my grandchildren. So did you declutter? I mean, everybody says when they move, they're like, oh, definitely get rid of everything. Oh, did you do it or did you just transfer a bunch of the stuff to other places in your new place? So I didn't have a lot of clutter. Um, I'm kind of an organized person, but I do have a lot of antiques and collectibles. Um, so that's what made it, you know, the challenge, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and most of these antiques um, were probably only precious to me. As when, you know, as anybody knows that's listened to me on your show over the years, they know that I travel to every state, and I usually try to bring something uh, back from that state that might only be mm-hmm. special to me, um, but nonetheless are you know I you know are are part of my home wherever my home may be. So you made it. So you so you you've got it all to move it. So you, I guess you didn't go. You didn't downsize. That's the point. You didn't go massively downsize where you had to get rid of everything or a lot of stuff. Um. Well, I did go from a ten room house to a six room house. Oh, that is a little. Yeah, that's some downsizing. Uh, I went from a hundred year old house to a mid century modern home. So it is kind of a shock to my system, <laughs> but um, but uh, you know uh, the, the four the new owners, uh, nice young family, uh, bought a lot of my uh, furniture. Uh, oh. They just they just sort of fell in love with with some of the pieces I have, which I think is funny because again, none of my pieces had a, have a whole lot of value, but they do have a whole lot of age. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and so funny. that kind of made me happy that they stayed with the home. We didn't quite have the same situation in terms of number of years. I think you said it was more than 30 in that house. But when we moved out of our little South St. Louis brick bungalow that we'd lived in for about 13 years since we got married, and then we had all our kids there. And when we moved out, it was kind of like, I mean, it was ter- in a way it was terrible, but we had to do it. The kids were too big and all. And then the people that bought it gutted the whole interior. So in some sense, we were like devastated. On the other hand, we are like, well, at least nobody else gets to enjoy Like it was just gone. When you go look in the window, we did this a few months later, a year later, look in the window it's all changed completely so all right so then i'm gonna put you on the spot here you've watched presidential presidential politics a big time whatever senators and all does the does the i broke my foot playing with the dog does it pass the smell test um well actually it's kind of believable what i find what i think people should be more upset about is the fact that uh, as soon as someone, as soon as someone from the Biden team said, "Oh, he's not bringing his dog to the uh, the White House; he's only bringing his cat," nobody had the sort of um, gumption or intellectual curiosity to say to say why, because most people mm. don't leave their their dogs. 
Had anyone asked why, they would have, at least in theory, been forced to admit that there had been a problem. And so, so my, mm. my outrage is that my outrage isn't over, you know, or my skepticism isn't about the dog or the cat uh, or, you know, did he fall? My skepticism is about my profession. I have been saying mm. for years, I don't mind that President Trump gets asked, asked tough questions. Um, I do mm-hmm. mind that the guy that for the past eight years before him wasn't treated with the same sort of robust uh, inquisition of his activities. And so the same is true for Biden. Nobody asked, why, why not the dog? Why isn't the dog coming? I, I, I misunderstood. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I misunderstood. I misunderstood the coverage. Did they admit the dogs aren't coming? The dogs are staying behind. I thought they were bringing yeah, both. There was a storm on Saturday. All of a sudden, the, oh. the, the vice president transition team said, "Yeah, the dogs aren't coming with the president, the uh, vice president Biden. Um, only the cat." Nobody has asked why. How how oh. is it nobody asked why? That's my first question as a journalist. And, and so had that question been asked, perhaps they would have been forced to admit that there had been a problem with the dogs, that the vice president had got tangled up with them and tripped. Uh, you know, hmm. nobody, nobody asked the question. Therefore, you know, if it was the sin of omission, then therefore no one volunteered the reason. I and, see, I see, and I here gotcha. we are. You know, here we are uh, with with the the table was set for us, and nobody dug in to ask questions, and hmm. and so that's that's my frustration. You know, I we're talking to Selena that he broke his they, ankle they, they that twi- way. Yeah, you do, huh? Well, okay, because it feels kind of macho to me. I mean, a 78-year-old man, a lot of 70-year-old men, and I'm not blaming them. I hope to be one one day myself. You'll, you, I, I'm a 50-year-old man, and I'll miss a step, and my foot will hurt for a week. And so, it, you know, it, it could have been simpler. But, Selena, what is your sense now of, we're talking to Selena Zito. Go to selenazito.com and sign up. You'll get an email from her when she writes, which is three or four, sometimes five times a week, it seems. Uh, Selena, what is your sense of, you're the perfect person for this question, because the Great Revolt, your best-selling book, covered it covered the fact that sort of what Trump America looked like. And now we're seeing sort of analyses of this election, and it looks like lots and lots of counties, you know, 18 out of the 19 bellwether counties that tend to go to the presidential went to Trump, but he still lost. Um, all, all these things went directionally for Trump, except for in the six states where the, the major cities, you know, and, and again, I tell somebody, just because the major cities went one direction doesn't mean it's fraud. It could be that they actually organized there. But I was in Philadelphia 10 days before the election. It didn't feel like a place where the machine was getting ready to turn out the vote. I mean, what what do you what's your you got a kind of 50,000 uh, foot view of the of this election right now? Well, they're focusing on the wrong cities. It wasn't Philadelphia. It was the counties around it was Montgomery County, Delaware County, Chester County, these suburban districts um, that that are the ones that that um, t- 
kept Trump from winning Pennsylvania. Um, and, and I think the big story that's missing, and you'll see it in my New York Post story this coming Sunday, is that the Trump coalition not only stayed together, um, it gained more uh, voters. You know, there was an expectation that, that, that Trump wouldn't earn as many voters than he, that he did in 2016. Well, he far exceeded that. But they also gained um, uh, new seats. They didn't just gain new voters. The coalition didn't mm-hmm. just get bigger and younger, but it also got browner. And it also elected more Republicans to office down ballot. So the coalition stuck together, and it has shown that it is durable and strong. Um, it, it was just that there was a percentage of them who voted Republican down ballot, but still just couldn't handle his comportment. You know, it just wasn't hmm. their cup of tea. Hmm. Is um is the uh is the president you know the media the media not you but the media has gone into overdrive saying that the president President Trump is doing lasting damage to the brand and all by contesting is that your sense or is it sort of Trump fights and that's what Trump does? Well, you know, and to my point, this coalition did stay together, and, and so this coalition isn't going away, and it put more Republicans in office um, than anybody expected, not just in the U.S. House and the Senate, but down ballot. Uh, I think that he would best be served by taking a Grover Cleveland approach at this point, in which Grover Cleveland famously said, and his wife famously said to the White House staff as they were leaving after he lost um, in his in, in, in um, seeking the White House for a second six consecutive term, he said, "Don't change too much, because we'll be back." <laughs> and, oh, I never heard that. <laughs> which is exactly what he did. He regrouped. Yeah. He um, pulled his coalition together, and he came back, and he defeated um, uh, the, uh, the guy that took the, the, took the seat from him. And he did serve two terms. They just weren't consecutive. One of the it is the only president that has has ever done that in history. I think he has an opportunity to to do that, and it's probably that time is probably began two weeks ago, and I suspect that that's something that he will um, eventually do. Um, he doesn't always, okay, he rarely does any, every anything conventional. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say it doesn't seem uh, that that doesn't seem his style. Um, the uh, Benjamin Harrison, by the way, no Benjamin, Har- yeah Benjamin ben, Harrison yeah. Uh, was. Yep. So yep. Just I want to be able to say I, I corrected Selena Zito. This is my highlight. Uh, save the tape, Noah. Uh, all right, Selena. Oh, well, one more thing. Tr- Trump's not a kid. Do you think Trump actually would do that? I mean, do you think he would want to stay around? Do you think you think he likes the action and he would be that would be what he would do is run again in twenty four. It's his oxygen. I find it very um, hard to imagine. Now, he may find himself in a more powerful position, a more influential position in in the years between 2020 and 2024, and decide, look, I have more influence and power outside of the office than I do Mm -hmm. inside the office. Uh, so that yeah. I think that will be the test of whether he decides to run again, um, and 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 that could be a possibility. You know, there's a lot of people who have who you know there's they don't have the constraints of Congress 
and and the Senate and the legislative bodies and the media, you know, that 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 sort of drag you down when you're in office, he may find that he's more powerful and more influential outside of the office. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. All right, Selena Zito, go to selenazito.com, follow her, uh, get up, signed up for her emails, and she'll send you an email. You said that New York Post has a piece this weekend. We'll look forward to seeing that one. Uh, Thanks, Selena. Appreciate it very much. Congratulations on your move to the new home. Thanks so much for having me. All right, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, well, he's a friend of a friend. So his name is Vico, excuse me, Vico Vertaghi, and uh, he is a web developer, programmer. If you read his bio and his website is b3wd.com, b3wd.com. He's got a background as a kid. He was one of these egghead techies, you know, data guys, and he's dug into it. And our eagle leader up in Philadelphia, Stan Casasio, put me on to Vico and said, you got to talk to this guy. So first of all, welcome... Uh, sir, to the show. And tell me, when you started looking at this election, I guess you're looking mostly at Pennsylvania, the data, you, you, what jumps out at you first in terms of explaining something's wrong here? Yeah, and thank you for having me. Uh, happy to be here. And looking at the data, I mean, it's not necessarily that there's a single large spike of anomalies, but there's a lot of different anomalies. And that set my radar off first. Uh, I would expect the data to be in better shape. There's data integrity issues. There also seems to be issues with how people voted, the people that voted, and the force that they came out to vote, the turnout overall. Well, and so first, back to that first observation that, um, you know, that something seems off in a bunch of places. I I guess this is a funny question. It has to do maybe with uh, human beings more than it does with the technology and the data. But um, if you were going to be sophisticated to commit fraud, you'd be a fool to take, you know, a million votes from one precinct and put it up, right? You'd have you'd have sort of pods. You'd have pods of of conduct that were got you what you needed and they added up to the numbers that. That you thought you needed. When you say you see things that don't look right, do you see things that don't look right in multiple times? In other words, is there a pod that looks like another pod and another pod, even though they're in different places? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, and, and I do. Uh, I see these different buckets. We've been calling them buckets of these anomalies okay. where it's a thousand votes here, a thousand votes there, um, and they add up over time. Uh, it is more sophisticated when you spread that out across these different buckets, opposed to having one bucket carry all the water. I think that's part of mm-hmm. the guys that they had uh, allowed play out um, to get better hydro mm-hmm. tracks. What is that? So, uh, give me your best. If you, I call you, I say, okay, I want uh, you know, I want Vico. Come get, give me your give me your top two indications of something that was wrong. Your top two, your best two examples. I've been telling my listeners get a laundry list of fraud, but understand, uh, eight hundred dead people voting in Detroit that doesn't change the election. You got to you know you got to kind of say no. Look at this and this and this. But what's your two best examples on your laundry list? Yeah, my, my two uh, go-to examples. So uh, as you probably are aware, uh, with any kind of an election, we assign voter strength uh, indicators to each mm-hmm. voter. This helps us go after mm-hmm. the, the swing voters versus the diehards. 
And so right. um, when you do that, this election. Let me pause. Um, let me pause. Let me pause, Vico. Let me pause, Vico, and tell people what what Vico is saying is if you're a candidate and you're, you're going to go and you're going to find voters to vote for you, let's say you're running for state rep and you get a database of 10,000 voters, you, you over time, if your party is structured well and your campaign is structured well, you say, OK, that person's a a, a is a is a five. They're going to vote Republican no matter what. And you do that based on their voting record in the past and their other certain characteristics. They're one, the other. So you learn about the candidates. And so and, and it's it becomes more of a science than an art. And so that, I wanted to set that up. So go ahead. Keep going, Vico. Then tell me your this example you have. Yes. And I appreciate that explanation. Um, we decided to take it further. And in addition to breaking it down by party, we also have a version where it's combined. And so what we saw is the strongest voter block, the fives, we're going to call them, came out at the same quantity as the weakest voter block. So we have 94,000 in the strongest voter block that voted in this election. We have 90,000 in the weakest voter block that came out and voted this election. Typically, you don't see this in an election year. You'll see diminishing returns based on the weaker the block. Um, but uh-huh. the, the weakest block is the second largest turnout block within PA4 Montgomery County. Um, so just specifically right. looking at my district. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of these people, at least half, a little more than half, uh, have never voted before. And they've been registered for at least five to eight years. And so that right there smells to me is an area that I would go after to validate fraud. Because these people are the uh-huh. most disengaged of all voters, and the least likely to run into issues during election day if somebody else casts a vote in, on their behalf. Uh, okay, that's your first example. Is that that you know, your second one? Your second go-to bucket or your second go-to story uh, p- uh, point of fraud? Um, yeah. So this one is also very interesting and um, something that we still haven't fully kind of wrapped our heads around. Uh, we decided to break down our entire voter rolls list and break it down based on the registration date. Uh, our digital uh-huh. systems have been around since at least 1991. Uh, but we see, for whatever reason, a single day where 130,000 people were registered to vote or added to the voter rolls on that single day. The next largest uh-huh. spike on a single day is about uh, 4,000 voters added. So we're talking 130,000 voters added on a single day uh, versus the next highest, which is about 4,000. Furthermore, Hmm. uh, that voting block had about a 90% turnout rate this election, and they make up Mm -hmm. for about 30% of the total votes this election. So 30% of all the votes roughly that came out this election all have the same registration date as August uh, 29th, 1996. Is your is your gut, or did you ask anybody? Is that is that they just made up a number, or what? What do you? What's your gut on that? Uh, it's incredibly suspicious to me. Um, we have uh, plenty of voters that have registration dates before this nineteen ninety six date, and plenty afterward. Uh, however, huh. how they landed in this date in particular, I couldn't find a single thing online with as much searching and researching as we've done that would indicate any kind of change in legislation that would have landed on this kind of a day where people are being registered. It wasn't the day we got a new system. It wasn't a day we moved into a new database. Uh, So uh, right now that's still a big unknown. But this is a very high turnout group of uh, voters, and uh, they came out and forced this election. 
Did you, when you, as you made this known to the powers that be, I know there was a hearing in Pennsylvania, did, did, and in fact from uh, Montgomery County, uh, um, Liz Havey, the one of the elected commissioners, testified at that hearing. Has, has what you said been uh, been publicly sort of discussed? Uh, Liz Havey does have the data. Uh, so the data that she used at the hearing was actually the data findings uh, that I had come to discover. Um, so we have been mm-hmm. working with the MCRC group, Liz Havey, uh, in addition to uh, some other candidates and some other groups that are interested here in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're talking again. We're talking about with Vico Bertaldi, and Vico is uh, his website is b3wd.com, b3wd.com. Vico, how'd you get into? I mean, how'd you get into the politics side of this? You just were interested in helping her out, and you're because now you're knee deep in this, like uh, like a pro. Yeah, and I uh, appreciate you asking. Uh, for the longest time in my life, I just kind of tuned out uh, from politics. In 2016, I kind of set the goal to kind of have a better idea of what was going on. And for better or worse, that opened my eyes to everything that was going on and just the sheer corruption and incompetence that we see and have seen in government. Uh, so I've been uh, increasingly involved and dedicated since 2016. With this year, I've probably put in the most time uh, helping candidates get elected. Um, and, uh, you know, after election night, after seeing what our projections were just in this district with our congressional candidate, how we thought she would do, and then seeing those predictions that were based on several different data sets blown way out of the water, um, I got to task in digging what I could and finding uh, these different anomalies in the data. And so I've been working very closely with uh, the U.S. congressional candidate and other parties interested uh, in the area to try and get this data to the surface. Are you uh, disgusted enough by it that you're turned off or are you energized by it? I mean, if you're if you dig into it, and you say there's something really wrong and it doesn't look like uh, it doesn't look like most of the media cares. And, and many of the Canada politicians seem not to care. Are you are you uh, disgusted by the system? As long as our president's fighting, I will be fighting as well. Um, I'm disgusted by the system, no doubt about that, but it almost energizes me and rejuvenates me that we're still in this fight. And even though the odds may seem overwhelming at times, this is a fight we need to take on for the betterment of this country. We can't get our election mm-hmm. process fixed and fair. We'll never have another mm-hmm. free or fair election. And so this is a fight worth fighting right now. Well, listen, thank you for coming on. Uh, Vico Bertaldi, again, the website is b3wd.com. Hey, you should, on your website, you should write th- some of this up or take links. I'll send you a link to this uh, interview and write it up so people can go there and find out. I think uh, I could talk to you for an hour about this. I think it would be important to do. So thank you for your time, Vico, very much, and we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much for having me, Ed, and uh, appreciate you and your viewers. Take care now. All right. Okay, you, you too. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Pro America Report on the Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, and we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, a constitutional attorney and articulate voice for traditional values for more than seventy years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. All conservatives would like to believe that everyone else who claims to be a conservative is right on every issue. Unfortunately, that's just not the case. Phyllis Schlafly made waves for decades for being one of the few conservative voices willing to call out leaders who called themselves conservatives but rejected conservative principles in practice. The clamor for a constitutional convention under Article 5 of the Constitution is a great example of this dichotomy. 
Most of us would think that a love of our great Constitution would be a prerequisite to call oneself a conservative. Yet too many want to open up our great founding document to corporate and special interest lobbyists by having a new constitutional convention. They say our Constitution is broken. They say a new convention will give conservatives the chance to fix all of our nation's problems with silver bullet solutions. I say these people are nuts. The Constitution is the best weapon conservatives have right now in the fight against liberal policies. It's true that liberals don't always follow the rules, but pulling the foundation out from under ourselves is not going to solve any problems for us. Proponents of this new constitutional convention, which they call a convention of states, make themselves look like perfect conservatives. They brand their literature with pictures of the founding fathers and talk about saving our republic. The only problem is that they like to think they're founding fathers themselves. I choose to believe in a different path. I think the founding fathers at the Second Constitutional Convention gave America a true miracle. Other than the Bible, it has been the most influential document in the history of mankind. Its words, though simple, are profound and relevant for all times. As conservatives, we do face many challenges. I have no doubts about that, and I see the challenges with you. However, the worst thing we can do in the midst of the battle for the soul of our nation is to throw down our greatest weapon, the Constitution. It's time for every conservative to take up the sword forged for us by our forefathers and fight for the truth we hold dear. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Anyone pushing for a constitutional convention doesn't have a full appreciation for the brilliance and beauty of the original document ratified back in 1788. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find all kinds of reasons why a con-con could be a disaster for the American way of life. Check out phyllisschlafly.com and join us again next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Let's wrap things up today. Uh, we'll put, Remember, don't forget, we'll put all those up on social media uh, and also over at ProAmericaReport.com, especially Vico Bertali. 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 i got to practice on that. No, I lived in Italy two years. I should be able to do it. But it's that Lee. Lee. It's tough to do. Anyway, uh, we'll put him, put his stuff up on uh, social media also and over on the website. Interesting tech guy. All right. Let me finish with a story. I didn't notice this. Um, I did not notice this story, and I want to talk about it. The New York Times, of all places, has a story. This is how crazy these people are. They're so fake and dishonest. They hate Trump all the time, and now they're actually running a story. The headline is, Trump is better in Asia. Trump is better, colon, in Asia, pro-democracy forces worry about Biden. And it's a lengthy piece about how in Asia... The people who care about democracy and freedom, they like a strong President Trump who stands up to bullies and dictators, and they think, you believe it, they're writing this. This was what we all said in the run-up to the election. The people that are on the streets trying to make their countries better, they believe President, a President Biden would be bad at keeping authoritarians in check because he's not strong. And they think Biden would roll over for the Chinese because he would. And as Biden picks his uh, foreign policy team, they see all the same stooges from Washington that for 40 years said they cared about uh, human rights, but they mostly cared about maximizing profits and fighting forever wars. 
So now the New York Times is finally saying, especially as to China, the communist regime, that Trump was stronger and better and more serious and more uh, committed and more top, you know, uh, uh, valuable for stability in the regions, for what life is doing, than Biden ever could be. Yesterday, CNN had a piece. They said they admitted that uh, looks like uh, the communist regime in China, they they covered up the Wuhan virus. No kidding. No, you, you're, no, everybody's been saying that for eight months, nine months. Steve Bannon has been in the Bannon bunker for 10 months holding a, doing a thing saying the China, communist regime has hid this from the, the people that called it the Wuhan virus. We were all shunned because they said that's too mean and too, too nasty to do. Now the New York Times and CNN have figured out that you know what works in the world is a big, strong, blustery, inconsistent to them president who does one thing first, and that's put the American people first. And the, the, the people of the world saw, huh, that is how you keep your own country strong and safe. And a strong and safe America, there's no terrorists. There hasn't been a terrorist attack since America, since Trump's in. They wouldn't try it because they wouldn't know what the guy would do to him. And now they got Biden, all these same goobers and losers who are going to try to do the same thing they did under Obama, give away cash to bad guys and negotiate with terrorists. It's going to and now even The New York Times is realizing it's incredible. All right. We better run. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget. Be strong. Happy warrior. Don't get down. We will be back tomorrow. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our fearless technical director and Joanna for helping book the guests. Go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up there to stay up to date on the Daily Wink and everything else. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. Talk to you tomorrow.